Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. This is Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter. My dear friend and sidekick and producer engineer, Brandon, is taking the day off. And let me tell you, he is the hardest working man in podcasts. That guy, nobody deserves a day off like that guy. So um, I miss him. I know a lot of you are real fond of our our uh, opening banter. But look, you have this to look forward to, is that June of 2020 is one of those coveted months that has five Mondays. That's right. You got it, friends. We are going to have a fifth Monday episode. And if you're a new listener to the Reverend Hunter podcast, the great here's here's why fifth Mondays are so great. It's a we we come out with a new Reverend Hunter podcast every other Monday, the first and third Mondays of each month. But when there's a fifth Monday, Brandon and I get together and we talk just the two of us, no guests. We catch up on life. Uh, we take we we take the banter to the next level. Okay, that's really what happens. And one of the things we banter about is uh, Brandon's journey to becoming a new hunter. He's going to hunt for the first time with me uh, sometime this year in 2020, and we are working our way toward it. And it's one of the things we talk about on our fifth Monday podcast. Also uh, in June of 2020, in our fifth Monday, I will be updating him and all of you on um, my trip to the Boundary Waters with my son Aiden and Bob Timmons of the Star Tribune and Bob's son Nick. The four of us went into the Boundary Waters a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to talk about that and uh, uh, update you all. It was really an amazing trip. So be sure to tune in next week uh, when Brandon will be back. He is well. He's he's just taking a well-earned day uh, day off, day for himself. Our our guest today on the podcast is Ashley Peters. She, uh, I've gotten to know her. She, she through like hunting, networking stuff in Minnesota. She's involved in several organizations, uh, including Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and that is the organization by which I came to know her. As you'll hear in our conversation, she is a new hunter. I'm an, uh, as, as I've talked about before on the podcast, I'm an adult onset hunter. Um, she is really brand new to hunting, and it's, it's quite an impressive journey to hear her uh, talk about it. And I know you're going to really love it, lo- love the conversation. She also talks about growing up in a real conservative Christian home in Iowa and what was that, what that was like. And, and as you maybe saw in the title of this episode, conservation is my religion is something she said to me when we uh, were talking, when we saw each other at an event a while back. And that was just, I just keyed in on that and thought, well, that's interesting for somebody who grew up in this evangelical environment. And now conservation is, is what she considers her religion. Um, I do also want to tell you that, uh, and you, you can see in the show notes how to follow her on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. Uh, she talks pretty candidly in the interview here about her dad's cancer a year ago and how much that affected her uh, and, and how much 
comfort and solace she found outdoors. Uh, I am sorry to report that as of now, her dad's cancer has returned. She has written about that on social media, so it's, it's not a secret or anything. But if you're a praying type of person, I would encourage you to pray for her, for her dad, for their whole family. Uh, if, you're a, if you're someone who meditates or throws thoughts out into the universe, uh, whatever you do, I ask that as you listen to this, uh, you might you know, send those thoughts uh, on behalf of her dad as he struggles with a recurrence of cancer. Um, you know, I hope that as this podcast continues to grow, that there might be a bit of a community that we would form, that we would um, hold each other up as we, you know, go through the 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 inevitable trials of life. I know I, it's something I've just done a lot of thinking about and talking about with people in these days of COVID and of uh, civic unrest and our country, you know, coming to terms with racism that just seems to be woven into the fabric of our institutions. It's, um, there's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of pain. I do think that being outdoors is something that can help us. And I, it helps, it has helped me. Uh, as you'll hear from Ashley, it has helped her. I imagine if you are listening to this, it helps you. And I don't know if it means, you know, going out and working in your garden, in your backyard, or if it means hoisting a canoe on your back and hiking into a wilderness for a week. Uh, or anything in between those two. Um, I, I, I know it's important. It's important for me, and I hope that um, more and more of us will take the time to do that and to, uh, as Ron Shera said for many years on his show, introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Um, uh, I'll talk about that next week on the fifth Monday, taking my kid to the Boundary Waters. I hope you do something like it too. And I really do hope you enjoy this enlightening conversation with my friend, Ashley Peters. Thanks for listening. Ashley, thanks for coming into the Reverend Hunter podcast. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. It's so great to have you. You and I saw each other. We don't really know each other that well. No, and we've seen each other here and there at things. You're a you're a member of BHA, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. So am I. Correct. Yes. So I've seen you at those kind of things before. Yeah, we've and, seen each other quite a bit, but at different events. But and of not. course, you're the poster. Like you're literally the poster girl for Modern Carnivore. I am. Mark has me <laughs> printed out on banners and. Yeah, I saw you at Pheasant Fest. There's just a huge picture of you and. Yeah, I'm conflicted about it, but... You're you hunting know. and angling, right? Isn't that Correct. the picture? You're like half in hunting gear and oh, half Oh, in... no, it's a, it's a canoe... Sh it's a paddle shotgun. Oh. So I'm like canoeing in one photo. Canoeing. Okay, so you're, and... not, you're not fishing. You're Because I only really home in on the hunting parts, because that's the part that interests me. Right. You're in your like blaze orange. Yeah. The idea is that, you know, for the longest time I was paddling and rock climbing and hiking and camping, but not hunting or fishing. So the idea is that I 
have recently kind of made that crossover. Gotten into that, yeah. Yep. Why, um, why, well, I just want to start out with something that you said to me when we saw each other a couple of weeks ago. Okay. I was telling you about this podcast I'm starting, and you blurted out, conservation is my religion. <laughs> you remember saying that? I do. I was like, that is intriguing. It's true. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> um, where should I start? Yeah, where should, I mean, start at the beginning. It was a dark and stormy night. Right? Um, well, I, so I grew up in a really religious setting. Um, so the church that I grew up in was Assembly of God. So it's evangelical, Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, you know. Um, and whereabouts was that? It was middle of Iowa. Uh, okay. If you just imagine miles and miles and miles of corn. And then a tiny town with as many bars as churches. Okay, okay. You've got a pretty accurate perspective so on So Assemblies of God, I'm guessing you went to church more than once a week. Yes. Typically Sunday morning, sometimes Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Um, and then there were always other functions as well. And I went to a Christian, uh, the latter half of elementary and middle school. So I really only went to public school during high school. And was that uh, Christian school, was that Assemblies of God school, or was it like more Reformed? There's some like Dutch Reformed, yeah, Calvinist kind of people. I would have was to go back Was it called like Heritage look. Christian Academy or something like that? It was Timothy Christian School. Timothy? There must have been a guy named Mr. Timothy who gave a bunch of money. Must have. Or, I don't know. Or the, the guy who toured around with the Apostle Paul was named Timothy. Maybe it was named after him. Now that you're asking me questions, I'm realizing how little I know about the origin. But it was pretty strict. Pretty. Um, it was just it was very Christian. You yeah. know, um, we'd go out and we'd say, you know, a, a pledge to the Christian flag in the morning, wow. and um, so that was up until eighth grade. Okay. That I had had that experience, and then obviously went to a public high school, and then yeah. ended up at a liberal arts university for college. Where was that? Truman State University okay. in Northeast Missouri. Now, for people who don't really know Assemblies of God, there's like a lot of Assemblies of God churches, but I think people maybe don't, people who aren't in the AG or the Assemblies or like the nicknames for it, they might not be that familiar with, like somebody who grew up Presbyterian or Lutheran probably wouldn't really know much about Assemblies of God, most likely. Probably not. It's so, very yeah. different. When I was in high school and I told people I went to the Assembly of God Church down the road, I got funny looks from people because it, it, it's a very different service than, than a more a traditional Lutheran or Luther, Methodist. Yeah. Or, in, yeah. And how so? Um, well, there's way more like singing and more, um, you know, dancing is not something that's taboo, at least in. So I should clarify. The church that I went to, I don't know exactly how similar it is to other Assemblies sure, of God. Sure. So this is, when I talk about the church that I went to, I'm talking about a very specific church in Iowa that I grew up in and not you know, yeah. across the board. But, um, you know, the when I was in high school, the Assembly of God that we went to, dancing was not taboo. In fact, it was encouraged. Um, there was a full band up on the stage and we I mean we would sing for two to three hours. So the service was oh my gosh. was largely a concert, wow. you know, that you're singing to and dancing around to and waving your arms to and then the latter half um, 
you know, maybe not the latter half, but the last 45 minutes was a sermon. Was a sermon. Um, no Lord's Prayer, no com- communion. We did communion, but it's very different than rare. what would you imagine. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I guess I'm not sure with certain other denominations, but the one I grew up in, um, if I remember right, you just basically got it got passed out. So you you got a cracker, and then you'd have this little grape juice thimble, cup. a thimble, yeah, full, yeah, yes. You know, it's funny. I was at a one of my kids' wrestling matches a couple of weeks ago, and I was sitting in the stands next to an Assemblies of God pastor. Okay. And he was asking me. He knew I was clergy and this and that. Was asking me like, "Oh, you you got a PhD in theology?" And I say, "Yeah." And he said, "Like, man, at an assemblies church, it's like we're just happy if the pastor has an undergrad degree. Like nobody even goes to seminary, much <laughs> less gets a PhD. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I got basically like ten years too much of school." <laughs> I'm 10 years overqualified to be an AG preacher. Wow. I've never heard that before. That's an interesting comment. Yeah. And I think that's true from what I know of that denomination, that it's much more, it's much less about like learn how to interpret the scripture or like read Greek so you can read the New Testament, the original language. It's much more about listen to God's spirit and preach what you hear from God's spirit. Okay. That kind, not that they don't prepare their sermons, sure. but it's less about like uh, erudition and like sophisticated historical method of interpreting a text, and more about like, are you good with God in prayer, and then is God using you as a vessel to say things? Yeah, and I, you know, so to catch your listeners up, I I don't go to this yeah. church anymore. Um, and I'm not part affiliated with any religion, so um, everything you're saying is, you know, I don't I don't necessarily True. know yeah, from experience. Yeah, that's that's an interesting. When did you comment. did that happen in college? That you, I start I stopped really going the latter half of high school. Okay. I would still show up once in a while, but yeah, I did I didn't go to any church during college. Didn't nothing that's drawn you back. No, and so. When I I think, you know, the middle part of high school, I really leaned into sports. Okay. And then in college, it was I ran track and field, and so I leaned into sports even more. Sure. And that's when I first had kind of my first foray into really engaging with the outdoors in a way that was a bit deeper than just, you know, going down to the campground for a fire with friends or a hike now and then. Now... Before we just, let's just close the loop then on the religion part, like the more organized religion. Does that, was that hard on your parents when you were in high school and you started to pull away from the church? Like, did it cause, doesn't a lot of families. Yeah. Causes tension. It does. I mean, my parents have always been very supportive. And so I think they were disappointed and, you know, they wanted to see me there, but they also understood growing up and having your own opinions. And, um, I mean, there were fights occasionally, (laughs) uh, disagreements. Um, but they also, there was never a feeling of like they were going to ostracize me because of anything. So that made it a little bit easier to, um, to still be at home and still, you know, be part of things, but not necessarily 
uh, be going to church every Sunday with them. Yeah. So you didn't really grow up in an outdoorsy family? No, I, so I have three sisters. Okay. Um, and so my dad was just working all the time. And what did he do? Was he, were you on a farm or were you in town? We were in town. So okay. the town I grew up in is about 3,000 people. And my dad was a machinist, so he worked at the factory in town. My mom was a school cook. Um, and so, you know, I mean, my dad worked so much that it was often by the time he got home, you know, I mean, we just didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of time. Um, and like I said, a lot of us, a lot of the girls in our family um, really leaned into sports in high school. So, Then when you got to college, what was the spark that got you interested in the outdoors? Because you ended up, I mean, to spoiler alert, but you ended up like basically choosing it as your vocation. That's what you yeah. do for a job is you are a conservationist. Right. So I don't know if this is the case at other universities, but somehow I ended up within sports, you know, within the people that I was surrounded by in sports, they all just kind of happened to be people that were somewhat outdoorsy. So like going camping or hiking um, on, you know, spring breaks, we'd, we'd go hike or camp somewhere rather than, you know, going to a beach or something. So it, it had a lot to do with the people I just ended up hanging out with. And we also were not far from a state park. And so I'd go out there and go trail running or go out there to to study. And that was the first time I remember really seeking the outdoors mm. as a way to find peace and a way to calm nerves and, and to just get away. So I think that's initially, if, if we talk about, you know, having some meaning behind your time outdoors, I think that's the first time I really sought it out as like, I need this mm. in order to feel better about the other things I'm dealing with in life. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to read, I don't want to like put words in your mouth, but that sounds almost spiritual. Oh, yeah. It, it, okay. Definitely. But with, I mean, th this is one of the things I'm trying to figure out for myself, okay? Is can you in the outdoors have, have, uh, have an, a sense of or embrace transcendence without necessarily for, for people who don't believe in a divine being. You know what I'm saying? So people who are not theists, but can you still have a sense that there's something bigger? And so there's, you know, that's what I'm saying. There's a sense of transcendence or something that's beyond us or even maybe beyond the material. I think so. Tell me how, I mean, have you spent some time thinking about that? Do you reflect on that at all? Yeah. As someone who's left organized religion and this has become your passion? I have thought about it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I have great answers, right? I'd love to I hear mean, anything you've thought about, about um, this. I first recognize that, you know, I only know my lived experience, yeah, right? Course. So yeah. that's what I'm speaking from. But, sure. Um, so... In the Singing Wilderness, Sigurd Olson talks about this Saint, time. We call him, he, we refer to him as Saint Sigurd on this oh, podcast. Saint Sigurd. Yeah, is yes. that cool? That's, yeah. a, that's a much better way. Okay, so Saint Sigurd, yeah. <laughs> um, so he talks about ice skating on this just glass-like lake and the northern lights being there and experiencing that. And 
in that vignette or that story, he talks about how it, to him, you know, that experience just in and of itself, the feeling that he got being there, the fact that it happened, whatever it was that came together in the universe to make that happen, it almost didn't matter what it was because it, it happened and he had like that experience was so meaningful to him on so many different levels. And that's kind of how I feel about the outdoors as well. I think that when you look at many different beliefs, a lot of them make sense in terms of just trying to put into words and feelings what, what you feel when you're outdoors or what you feel when you experience some really grand um, natural event. And so I think that core feeling of what the event feels like initially before you kind of process it in terms of what it means to you, I think that that core feeling is very similar between me and somebody who's, you know, more religious. How do you, how do you catalyze experiences like that? when you go outdoors or don't, or don't you try to, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, let's say, you know what, because, because, um, the premise of this podcast is that especially in people under the age of 50, I mean, in Gen Xers, even more so in millennials. And I think it's going to be even more so in like my kids generation, the kids who are currently in high school and college, less and less people are going to church or any kind of organized religion. Right. And yet people still have some kind of a need for um, making meaning in their lives. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And so, and religion for so many people, for so much of human history has given people that meaning. Like, here's why you're doing what you're doing, because there's a divine being who wants you to do it. Or because if you don't do it, you're going to go to hell when you die or whatever. You know what I mean? Different religions say it differently, but it's all like because there's this divine being. Yeah. I just wonder, so, so your work as a conservationist, I imagine, get, gives you a lot of meaning in your life. What would you say to a religious person who says, but without God... Without that divine being who laid this all out for us, what's the point? Mm. Oh, that's an interesting question. I, uh, well, <laughs> it's a hard one too. Yeah, um, because I I don't very often have people say that. You know, I mean, it's a bit of a confrontational coming. But at can it. you imagine somebody from your old church where you grew up saying something like that, or wondering how? how somebody could, who's forsaken that traditional belief in God, how, like, what's their purpose? Because for those people, their purpose is very clear. Yeah. And why they do what they do every day. Right. And what, when you get out of bed in the morning and you look forward to going to work as a conservationist for your job, and then you look forward to like using your free time to hike and bird watch and hunt and fish. Sure. What is that? Like, what's the, what's the draw? What's pulling you out there? Well, so to your question about what's the point, I mean, whether or not I believe in God doesn't mean I'm not still taking care of God's creatures in that person's point of view, right? So 
I'm going out every day and thinking about how can I protect and restore really key habitat in Minnesota? How can I go enjoy the outdoors that's there? How can, um, how can I appreciate the world that's around me? And to be honest with you, the outdoors feel more real to me than anything else that I do on a day-to-day basis um, because I feel so connected to everything. And I think that that feeling is something that a lot of people can relate to. You know, I think when I was younger, I saw it as, I saw it as God's creation and I saw it as um, something that we needed to take care of and care for. And I still feel that way, Yeah, you know, that I, I want to take care of this world that we have and the creatures that exist in it. And I want to provide the best life possible, not just for myself, but for everybody around me and for all of the creatures that exist on that landscape. Yeah. One of the things I struggle with is a lot of the people in that tradition you grew up in age, you know, Assemblies of God people, but also people who are more Pentecostal and in that version of Protestant Christianity. A lot of those people think that the end of the world is close. Yes. And that this whole thing's going to burn anyway. Like literally burn. A yeah. lot of them think it's going to literally burn. It's a, it's a version it, it's a version of theology called dispensationalism, that we currently live in a certain dispensation that is about to come to an end, a dispensation of God's grace that's going to come to an end, and then God is going to basically let evil forces or Satan have it and burn it all down, right. and then God's going to recreate for just his favorite people, <laughs> you know, believers or the saved or the elect or however you want to say it. Yeah. And then there's going to be a whole new creation that's going to be way, way better than this one, which has been, I would say, a struggle in the conservation world, even in like the climate change debate, because there's a certain group, and it's millions and millions of Americans who think that, I've been told this to my face, maybe you have too, that it's why would we work to save it? It's all about to come to an end anyway. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard that. And that yeah. was, you know, the rapture yep. was a big deal when as you were part of my up. upbringing. Sure. Yep. Which is I all watched, part of that dispensationalist. You watched yeah, those, those. I watched all the Left Behind movies. movies and, and, I mean, I was. That, Very, remember that Larry Norman song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready? Did you guys yes, sing that song? Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. Totally. Yep. That was, um, I listened to Jesus Freak, yes. DC Talk, you know. Um, yeah. So I was very, very into it. Yeah. Um, and to what you're talking about, um, I, I don't know that I have a great answer to that because... You know, each person is so different, honestly. You know, every person I talk to approaches their religion from a personal perspective. And even if something is kind of the banner, you know, the overall belief of a religion, each person kind of still has their own feelings about certain aspects. So it's deeply personal, even if that's the overall point of view. But, um, I mean, if I had to pick something to say, I would say, you know, regardless of when the expectation is of something happening, I, I just don't, I just can't exist in a world where I would think that 
if you believe in God and what he created and that he cared so much to create this and he cared so much to put a lot of, you know, effort and, um, you know, people talk about really admiring, you know, the creatures of God and the, um, you know, nature seeing like a beautiful sunset and, oh, I can see God in this, you know, why wouldn't you? take every opportunity you could to show how much you care about that, about those things. Um, so I'm, I'm getting there in terms of trying to articulate, but I mean, that's a, it's tough. That's no, a I, tough question. I think it is tough. I think it's really tough. And I, I mean, one of my questions for you is how do you maintain hope as a conservationist? It's, it's a question I've asked some other guests already on this podcast because it just like the news that's coming out of the political world is so dire for conservation. It's been very constant. Yeah. So how do you um, keep going to work every day and fighting for these, fighting to, you know, help out these species and their habitats and stuff? Um. All Another of these big, are big questions. Well, that, but, this but is kind me, of a podcast of big questions. Yeah, so kind of, <laughs> let me just break it down by one particular experience okay, I had last year. So um, so I found out last April that my dad had cancer. And it was stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And when he got his PET scan, it was just this constellation of cancer. I mean, it really did not look good. And he had a softball size uh, lump in his hip. And obviously your world just completely changes when you get news like that. And so with the conservation piece, the reason that earlier I said it's my religion is because in that moment when I was like, what do I do? This is devastating. I'm so close to my dad. I don't want to see him go. How am I going to deal with this? And the first thing I did was go for a hike Right? I went outside. Interesting. Um, I went fly fishing. Right. So. And uh, tell me what that did for you, but doing that, like, what do you think that draw was? Um, Why would that be your first instinct? To because get outside. It, it goes back to like that. That is where I started to draw peace from. You know, as um, as I was growing into who I am and what I need, and there's there's just something. Um, boy, this is hard to put into words. Mm -hmm. There is something very um, reassuring. I wouldn't say peaceful because some of my favorite things to do outdoors are actually really hard and are sometimes stressful, right? I don't, I'm not always good at fly fishing. I'm not always good at hunting, but there's something reassuring about being outdoors and this feeling of I've been here before even if everything about this experience is different than the last time I was outdoors, there is just this uh, instinctual sense of being outside, being in a wide open place, being in a river. And even if I was unsure of the situation, being outdoors somehow provided me this reassurance that this would still be there. You know, and these were places that my dad and I had always gone out to the lake and things. And so it was a place that we had appreciated together when I was younger. Um, 
and I'm really fortunate that um, the chemotherapy worked well and he pulled through it. Wow. And um, so, you know, he's now around. he's in remission and wow. we're able, you know, we're able to go on hikes when I go home. Holy moly, to come back from stage four is it was, rare. It was, yeah. But, um, you know, during that time, I really did lean on my passion for the outdoors and it really made a difference for me to have that. And I don't even know if I can really describe why. I mean, one word for it might be prayer. Sure. Like, you know, whether yeah. or not you're communicating with uh, uh, some kind of supernatural being, but I mean, really, it seems to me, you know, you were driven to something like prayer out there. Yeah. Yeah. It contemplation. Might not be a word you're, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know... So it it was easier for me to see when I was in Alaska. So I lived in Alaska okay. for a couple of years. And um, there you've got just giant mountain ranges, a huge sea. And you get that sense to some degree on the prairie in, in the woods. Um, but, you know, if anybody's been to Alaska, they understand, like, just the scale of things. You feel so insignificant. You very quickly recognize your place as a human being on earth and you suddenly recognize that this stuff is huge and, you know, you, um, I don't know, you, you just don't have control over any of it. And so you have to focus on what you do have control over and hope for the best for the rest of it. So, yeah. um, I feel like I'm rambling a little no, bit. No, no, that's good. But to get no. back to your question about, you know, how do you have hope, right? Yeah, when when yeah. you go back, when I go into work each day, um, the thing that I had control over last summer when I felt, right? Like there were a million things I could have felt overwhelmed by in that situation, not just work, but also personal life. Um, and what the outdoors has taught me is that you focus on what you do have control over. You focus on the things in front of you and you hope for the best with the rest of it. I mean, um, I do as much as I can to think about what could go wrong in certain situations and plan for that. But that's still back to like, what do I have control over and doing as much as I can to prepare and to be in that moment but then to recognize what I don't have control over and I can worry about it all day long. And I still do, but um, it's also, you, you can only do so much as a human. And so to relate that to kind of a spiritual aspect, I think, you know, growing up, it was a lot of give it up to God, right? Mm -hmm. give, it, mm -hmm. give it up to God, yeah. um, you know, release those fears, let him take care of it, those that was a common narrative. And I would say that's not dissimilar from what I still do with the outdoors, really? uh -huh. but it's a, it, I'm not necessarily giving, giving it up to one deity. It's just, I'm You're going outdoors yeah. and laying it down, you know, or <laughs> how, however you want to put it. Um, yeah. It's still that same kind of offloading of my worries and recognizing I don't have control over these things. I have control over these few things and that's what I'm going to choose to focus on. And when you're outdoors, what are those things you feel like you have control over? So when you're pursuing, like let's take right. one particular thing you like to do. Yeah. So like with hunting, um, you know, when you go out pheasant hunting, you have no idea how many pheasants 
you're going to run into, you have no idea how the day is going to unfold. But you have, you have a decent idea. You've been out there before. You've prepared. You make sure you have ammunition. You make sure you have your gun. You make yeah. sure you have all your gear, right? You do your research. You think about where you're going to go, where you're going to hunt. You think about the types of habitat that you've seen birds in. And so in that sense, you really are looking at what you do have control over, and you're working on that, and that's what you focus on. And anything outside of that, you know, if you walk through the fields in a day and you don't see a bird, it can be a little disappointing, but it's also, for me, it's still like, I got a beautiful day out in the field, so I, I appreciate the things that I did get, regardless of what I wanted or didn't want. It's still a great day because it's just being outdoors. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's another thing that I wonder, I mean, you and I probably come at this a little bit differently, but I'll tell you my dilemma and then try to lay a dilemma on you and see what you, how you reflect on it. But as a Christian theologian, I'm like always preaching about peace. Like that's one of the highest values I think of appropriately practice Christianity is peace. We want peace between people, between nations, just in general, peace, peace in families. You want peace with yourself. Constantly talking, you know, thinking, and I think like for Jesus, that was a really big deal. He was trying to bring peace, not a sword. I'm coming to bring peace, not a sword. And yet my favorite thing to do in the world is an inherently violent activity. (laughs) <laughs> and that is to kill another animal. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I want I to shoot a bird that's flying through the air and kill it and it drops on the ground and it's dead and bloody and my dog picks it up and brings it back to me. I want to sit in a deer stand and see a deer and shoot it a double lung shot so it dies and so I can carve it up and eat it. it I've really struggled and I've written quite a bit about this um, for myself in trying to figure out like, am I, can I still be true to my faith and belief that peace is the thing that I'm after and the thing that the human race should be after, and yet also love this inherently violent activity? So for you, like your day job is protecting birds. Yeah. And then you go out and you shoot birds. Yep. So like, And this is all pretty new for you. I mean, you've been protecting birds for a long time. Yep. And now you've only recently started to shoot and kill birds. Yes. So how do you reconcile that ethical dilemma? Surely you've thought about it. And surely probably people at your workplace are like, what are you doing killing birds? (laughs) Our whole deal is saving birds. And you're out there killing birds. Well, in... So where do I start with yeah. this one? Um, I mean, I do get a lot of questions, right? It, it is an interesting dynamic. Um, there, there are more people who are a part of kind of the birding community that started off as hunters, though. And a lot of them just dropped it over time. You know, their, their dad stopped hunting with them, so they stopped hunting. Um, but some of their first memories were from going out into the field, and that's really where they fell in love with birds was was hunting. Um, so there, there's a, there's more similarities, I would say, than it appears on the surface. That being said, I work with a wide range of people, um, and 
especially with vegans and vegetarians, I have really good conversations because they've thought so much about where their food comes from. And I really respect whatever decision you make about what you think you need to do to feel good about where your food comes from, um, as long as we can have a conversation about it. Right. And so um, I've had some really good conversations with people who have chosen to be vegan and vegetarian because they think so much about how how does uh, what I'm eating impact the rest of the world or the world around me. And, um, you know, there are a lot of different ways you can take that. But when I come to it from the perspective of I have become so much more appreciative of what meat is since I started hunting and I'm so much more conscious of what I do with that meat and how often I eat meat. And, um, it's just made me so much more connected to my food. And that is a, that is a perspective that I really try to talk about as much as I can because so many people do eat chicken and turkey. I mean, just because you save birds during the day, especially wild migratory birds doesn't necessarily mean that you can't eat chicken or turkey. Um, and, and so, you know, to some degree it's a lot of people have to face this, right? It's, it's not it's true, just, but they don't. Sure. Most of them don't. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, these are the conversations I have a lot too. I'm like, well, you killed a bird. Like, what'd you have for dinner last night? Invariably. It's like, well, I went to Chipotle and had a, had a bowl. I'm like, what, what was your protein? Yeah. Sofritas? No. Chicken. Well, you killed a bird. Yeah. Like by extension, you killed a bird. A bird died to see that. I think, you know, the biggest misconception that I've run into um, from people who don't hunt is that hunters like to watch animals tortured. And I think that's the difference between what you were just saying about it being violent. You're right. Like shooting an animal is a, is a violent thing. Yeah. But it's also not to watch it suffer. There, there's a really specific purpose. I'm guessing you get a lot of meaning out of that. There's a strong connection. Um, as hard as it is to describe as a hunter or even an angler, that, that action makes you feel that much more connected to that animal and you appreciate so much more what it took for that animal to get there because you've had to think about it so much. You're so, it's so integral to what you're doing. Um, and you don't necessarily have to think about those things if you're right, you pick something up from the grocery store. And, um, I don't know if you know Drew Lanham, Mm -hmm. Jay Drew Lanham. Um, he wrote a book called the home place. Highly recommend it. Okay. Really good book. Um, but he has a chapter on deer hunting and he didn't grow up as a deer hunter. Um, and he kind of, he was a wildlife biologist and kind of came to it after being a biologist. And he says, you know, in a pre-wrapped shrink or a, a pre-packaged shrink wrapped world, people don't necessarily want to know where their food comes from. And I think that's a little bit of a difference. You know, some people do want to know, and I wanted to be very aware of it so that I was having to face the impacts of what I was, if I was going to eat meat, I was going to come face to face with exactly what that meant and either accept it or to be honest with you, if I didn't like hunting 
if I didn't feel good about it, then I very easily could have become a vegetarian or vegan. Like really? it could have gone that direction for me. Interesting. Yeah. So you kind of went into it as a grand experiment, as if I'm going to be a carnivore, I'm going to know where my meat comes from and maybe I won't after the end of this. And right. at this point, you're still, you like hunting. I do. You still eat meat. Yep. What was your best hunt last season? One that you look back on and went during this off season and dream about? Last season. Um, I mean, I, th I think the interesting thing is that although a lot of times I want to get a meal out of, out of it, the best hunts are always just a hunt where I'm with several ladies that I've hunted with for a while and we go have a day in the field. And we get a chance to catch up on the drive there or back uh, when we're out in the field. You know, um, you're communicating with each other without really talking. You know, you're keeping an eye on each other, but you're all looking for the same stuff in the yeah. field. And there's very strong purpose, a strong drive to what you're doing. Um, and my job, my day job relies a lot on thinking about words and how to phrase things. And, um, and so there's a relief <laughs> in just getting in the field and communicating and connecting with people and communicating and connecting with the landscape, but not having to talk as much, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And so all, <laughs> it's kind of a uh, uh, taking out here, but I mean, they were, they were all good hunts because when I got to go out with the ladies that I hunt with, and I got to just be out there. It really didn't matter if we mm. came home with something or not. I mean, it's always <laughs> it's always nice when you can come home and make pheasant soup or pheasant pot pie. You yeah. can get that real. I think of it as the trophy shot when you've got you've got your meal in front of you and your friends around, and you take that you know big smiley photo of look at this amazing food that we made out of uh, the bird that we got. Um, that's that's really what I hunt for is for that meal and the connection and, and the feeling of when I'm eating a meal, I know exactly where that bird came from and I know it had a really good life, you know, right up until the end. Um, but it had a really good life out there on a landscape that was ideal, you know, um, and that I'm putting money into that yeah. through conservation dollars. Well, thank you. And let's keep those landscapes out there for those birds. Yeah. I'm so glad you I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing and and I think it's awesome you're hunting, but I it's even more selfishly it's even more awesome that you're helping preserve habitat for birds because my gosh. Well, and that goes back to it. what's the purpose, right? I yeah. mean, every single day I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about how to make sure that that stays there not just for me, but for everybody I care about and you do really gain a love of the animals that, that you're doing this work for. And yeah. um, so that's, that's a big driver, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, of course. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.